So if you have any um, anything else you need to know, just put it in the chat. Um, but yeah, we're going to get going so that we stick to time. Okay, it's just going to be sharing my screen here. Hopefully you guys can all see that. It should just be a starting screen. That, can you guys see that? Maybe someone can let me know. We can. Yes. Okay, great. All right, yep, so 9.35, let's kick off with this. Um, where we're going, uh, just get that there. So just a very brief intro to anyone who doesn't know Project 90. Um, our vision is to inspire and mobilize society towards a sustainably developed and equitable low carbon future. Um, our mission is to bring about significant positive change in the way we as humans engage with earth systems and each other. And so part of this is obviously um, getting South Africans involved in a just energy transition. So what I'm gonna be talking about is the research approach we had, a very brief overview of two points in the energy landscape for the Western Cape, um, why the city of Cape Town is important, a very brief overview of the strategic priorities that will all be um, in the report, and then a choice of the focus topic, which is what we will be talking about. Um, so very briefly, an energy transition we are looking at is a shift from our current energy system to one that is better, and by better we mean sustainability, environmental impact, climate change, human health and economics. When we talk about a just energy transition, we mean that the principles of justice are applied um, during this shift in the, in the energy system. Now, those of you who are familiar with the space will know there's been ongoing debate about this and the details. So we are not delving into definitions and all of that. This is the basics of it. And when I did all the interviews, um, which we will talk about now, it was more action orientated. I asked people, what actions at least cover the basics? And, you know, as long as we're moving in the right direction, the exact definitions um, can, can be worked out. because That's an ongoing discussion nationally. So what we did is we were focusing on energy because there are other parts of just transition. Uh, we decided to look at the Western Cape. Um, as the Western Cape has shown uh, that the you know, progress in the energy sector in terms of wanting to be more energy independent. Um, I interviewed people both in Western Cape government and city of Cape Town, among others, to see what uh, people inside of government had to say. And the context obviously involved, you know, struggling economy, um, energy challenges, and COVID-19. And the idea of this was just to get an overview of what are strategic priorities for local level just transition actions specifically related to energy. So then what we did is we, we took these findings, um, we had a chat with others in civil society who work in this space, um, we tried to identify some combination areas, um, and then from that we decided to pick one to focus on more, and that one was how do we tackle energy poverty, but specifically how do we engage with communities to co-create solutions, because these are the people who are dealing with energy poverty on a day-to-day -day basis. So. 
very briefly, the importance of electricity um, as a focus is if you look, this is for the Western Cape, if you look at energy consumption, the liquid fuels on the left make up about 53%. So obviously, the shift to electric vehicles and the transport is very important. However, if you now look at what happens with emissions um, in the province, the majority of emissions come from the production of electricity. So this is one reason to focus on electricity now. Um, and the second reason is in terms of what electricity means for people. So if you look at energy consumption by sector, you can see that um, transport and industry are the most and residential um, is only 10%. However, when you look at electricity consumption, it's mainly residential. So again, our uh, report focuses mainly on electricity because A, the climate change concerns and B, the effect it can have on people and a just energy transition speaks to both of those. These are just a few figures. Don't worry about all the details. The point here is that Cape Town as a municipality is the majority of the population, the majority of informal settlements, houses, indigent households, also in terms of energy use, emissions uh, and economic output. Um, this last figure to pay attention to here is the number of indigent households. Now, by indigent, we broadly mean that households where their income is such that they will struggle to meet basic services, um, which obviously links to energy poverty. These numbers can be a bit difficult um, and they're not necessarily exact, but you know, if you look at roughly 15 to 20% of a population of 6 million, this is a lot of people. Um, so, you know, energy, energy poverty is a real um, concern. To very briefly go through these, because um, this is not the focus of our talk today, it's just to lay the scene. When I did interviews with people in the city of Cape Town, Western Cape government, um, core components that came out was very clearly tackling energy poverty. Part of this is because there's high electrification rates, but still people can't afford it. Secondly, is to increase energy efficiency. This was a priority because you know, it has support, you can save money, you can do it fast, you can create jobs. Adding renewable energy sources is obviously part of the transition. Um, interestingly, as people probably know, the city has applied to get renewable energy power from independent power producers. That's probably gonna take quite some time. So the lower um, scale generation facilities are gonna be important for that. Then there's creating jobs in the green economy. So some of those linked directly to energy and some are just part of the extended value chains. And improving public transport. We saw obviously that uh, transport uses a lot of energy, but improving public transport has other social benefits. It allows more people to uh, get involved in economic activities. And if you improve them, they can wait less um, and those kind of things. Very briefly, some cross-cutting factors that apply to all of these. Policy and regulatory certainty came out a lot in my interviews. For example, renewable energy um, in the Atlantis uh, Special Economic Zone could be manufacturing renewable energy components, but with the IRP as it is, even though it's come out over a year ago, there hasn't been much movement on that. So this is a frustration that was expressed. Improved stakeholder engagement is just generally part of good governance and we'll be talking about in the, in the next section. The idea of municipal resilience, all of these core components, if you sort out energy poverty, increase the efficiency, add renewables, it all makes municipalities more resilient, which is important. The idea of supporting microeconomies, this uh, microeconomies, we mean your informal sector, small businesses and that is, although they might not be the biggest contributors to GDP, 
they put bread on the table for a lot of people. So it's important that they're included. Financing is obviously how do we do all these things, not only looking at municipal finance models, but possibly accessing green finance um, and other options um, to pay for these. Transition management was probably the most interesting question where the answers were all different from people, which basically meant firstly, um, this function doesn't really sit with anyone yet. Um, and secondly, people don't necessarily know who should be managing it. Um, so that's an area for possible future work. And access to information is not just about transparency about things like energy pricing, but like in communities, how do you allow them internet access and those kind of things so that they can then get to the information. So lastly, before we move on to Peter, we'll talk about the next one is how did we select our topic? Well, it was very clear from all the discussions with government officials that energy poverty and access to electricity is important. Generally, and this came out of our previous research, when you look at these kind of things, your stakeholder engagement needs to happen up front. There's no point doing it at the end once you've done the work and asking people. People need to be involved from the beginning. Um, over the years, as many of you on this call will probably know, that's often been pointed out, for example, at hearings about electricity pricing, why are the people most affected not involved? Um, and the last point is just acknowledging that municipalities um, by their position and their mandate are most close to people. So, you know, their role is important. So that's why we focused on energy poverty in the Western Cape and how do you improve systems of community engagement, which almost by default will be at a municipal level. So that's enough from me. Um, I'm going to hand over to Peter now. Um, who will talk about the focus for this talk, unless there's any questions of clarity. As I said, the debate later on can be about it in general. Um, using the, the participants function, if there are any questions of clarity, you can ask now. Otherwise, I'll hand over to Peter. Okay. Peter, Thank I think the, the floor is yours then. Yeah. Um... Uh, thank you, everyone, and thanks, Richard. Uh, I, I'm, can you hear me? I can't seem to... Um, yep, I can hear you. I'll, I'll put my video on as well. Um, so, yes, thanks for the introduction and setting the scene as to why we focused on energy poverty and community engagement. And I just want to add the justice element, the justice side of a just transition and why community is critical. I think we all, uh, most of us here are familiar with the definition of, um, of energy poverty and um, energy uh, being, uh, uh, need, being needed for to, to, required for basic human needs. And, Whilst energy is not expressly recognized in the constitution as a human right, it's implicit uh, in the founding provisions and the Bill of Rights. So energy poverty is a lack of access to reliable and safe energy choices. 
But it's not just about access to electricity, it's also about affordability. And that came up repeatedly in the, in the interview. So the re research has pointed um, for quite some time that even those people who have access to electricity, poor people, are continuing to use unsafe and poor quality fuels to meet their energy needs. So if we're looking at engagement and uh, community engagement and we're considering it from the local sphere or from government, uh, what, what, is it we, what, do, what does it mean? So uh, we did some research into what public participation is and where it resides. And it actually sits very squarely in the constitution and the country's democratic governance principles. And, and this is um, evident in many um, frameworks and government policies. I, I, I looked at a whole range and uh, public participation and engagement are in the heart of the constitution and other documents. So whilst there's no formal legislative procedures on how to engage, government is doing so. Uh, and when I looked at the Western Cape and interviewed a whole range of people, um, so there's this province, city of Cape Town, the other municipalities, they have, there are many um, formal measures and systems that are in place uh, to communicate and engage with people. So that's government websites, newspapers, radio, social media, etc. And then there are where, where strategies, plans, draft uh, bylaws and the integrated development plan particularly, but not only, uh, these documents are put out uh, for public comment. And ward councillors, and I spoke to two, uh, uh, play a really important interface between the local authority and communities. And they use various social media tools like WhatsApp and Facebook. But the one person, well, both the people I interviewed said that actually going to people's homes and being on the ground was very important. So what, what, did, what did the government um, officials and politicians I spoke to said that there, there was general agreement that engagement with communities is really critical and important, uh, but it's hard, it's difficult, and it's not happening at the level um, the legislation requires and that government hoped for. And in relation to energy poverty, um, one or two respondents said to me that that it's almost as if the city raises expectations that they, they, they cannot meet. Um, and, and so there, there, there are problems there. Um, mainstream media, I think we would all know, doesn't reach everybody and especially the poor. And um, consultation often becomes a tick box exercise. Um, and uh, I was also told that there's not one solution for one community or for all communities. You've got to develop individual solutions and that uh, demands resources, human resources, financial resources that they don't have. 
Often um, officials are seen as authoritarian. So somebody said to me, when, when you rock up at a community in a, a, a government vehicle, you're already a little bit on a, a back foot. So one of the, the things that came up repeatedly in all the interviews was a, an intermediary or a community liaison person would be critical. Another hugely important point was around information, education, communication, that it's not done adequately and it really needs working on. I'll say a bit more about that later. And then another area was that the energy um, and poverty are cross-cutting and the silo um, way in which government departments operate um, is not conducive to good engagement and there needs to be better alignment. So, in fact, somebody, one or two people said to me, you know, we hold a meeting, host a meeting, and then um, a question is raised that's not in our key performance area and then we become a messenger but the messaging doesn't work so we go to another department doesn't go back to the community okay so what what did we we, we i also interviewed a lot of people from civil society and um there were um uh, others who engaged with community and youth and um there were some um uh questionnaires completed. So uh, critical was you, you can't start developing solutions if you don't understand what the situation is, how people are using energy, what sources of energy they're using, and it's no good sending in an external consultant. It needs to be done by um, the community themselves have to be engaged in, in, a, in a kind of data enumeration process. And um, this painting of the picture helps uh, for everybody engaged to, to say where are the priority areas, what should we be focusing on? And, um, you, you know, one community might identify that external lighting is the main problem or it's uh, something individual to their household. Um, people really need to, in the community, want to be uh, designing, influencing a project and involved in decision making. Um, there, there needs to be, a, the, the, this, what came up very, very strongly was about building relationship, building trust between the community and the municipality. And again, having a, a, an intermediary um, like civil society really would work. And, and some of what came up was around um, uh, service delivery protests. I'll say a little bit more about that in, in a little while. Richard, am I doing okay with time? Um, co co communities are really frustrated and they're not adequately informed. And some of the youth and the communities that were engaged with um, for the research said that they what they really want from government is to to use field workers not letters to communicate to listen to people to take their needs into the planning processes um, what came up really strongly also was the affordability 
there's lots, there is work happening out there and there are engagements happening. So I don't want to just give a, a view that nothing is happening and I'm not going into the detail of this. I think Reshmi might talk about the um, Green Cape work just now, but the City of Cape Town's Low Income Services Unit are doing um, really great work. So is the um, Department of Human Settlements, Informal Settlements Support Program, where they've really engaged with uh, civil society in their informal settlement work, and ISHAC. Um, so I really want to get to the recommendations. So I'm just quickly going to go through the themes. <clears throat> the, the, so the, the intention and legislation is there, it's good. But in practice, it's very formalistic. And we need to look at why that, that is. Public participation uh, and engagement is often presented as an activity, a call for a comment or formal meeting. There aren't the resources really to go and, and engage in the way that it needs to happen. And that means uh, running people-centered processes over time. You, you can't find solutions unless you understand the problem. And I think we would all know that from our personal experiences. Um, I, I, I touched on earlier around service delivery protests and, and um, managing trauma and years of um, hardship and living in the way that people are living, um, it, it requires an appreciation of, of, of trauma, of hardship, of woundedness. And that again is not a one tick box exercise. And then I, 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 we did quite a bit around where the municipalities are hugely constrained. I mean, I could talk for 10 minutes on that alone. So they're, they're, they're not just free to increase free basic electricity or expand their services. They, they're the, the municipal financial model is not working. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say more on that right now, but... I just really want to flag that there's a constraint on the government side. So um, the recommendations are, they're at three levels. One is a systemic change from the political structural side and that the sort of top down view, but we, we don't focus there. That's a whole different um, area of work. What we focused on was more the small stepping stones of change that reside in the local space. And we came up with some visible, tangible shifts. I, I, I like this photograph because these people are, are trying to resolve a problem together. And, and I, I really love this quote from Adam Habib because I think it sums up what we've tried to do here. If there's one truism in the world of social transformation, it has to be that we are the agents of our own liberation. Of course, this agency has to be part of a collective if it is to have systemic effect, but it does require individuals full and active involvement. And that I think is what our recommendations call for. So this is a sort of higher level um, stuff that I think Richard has already spoken about, um, the 
municipal financial model regulations and so on. What we came up with, which we'd really like to engage with you today, is what, what can the Western Cape, what can we be doing in this province? And so we, we, we really felt if we could set up an energy solutions working group made up of a range of stakeholders are really engaging with what is happening now, what can we do differently, how can we do it, how do we raise funds? Communication and education that was repeated by all the people I interviewed and the research that I did. People don't understand the constraints of the of government and what they're operating under. And, and I think that, that government maybe doesn't really see all the, the constraints and the, the, the difficulties of the com communities and people don't understand why am I paying this much for electricity and why is somebody else seemingly paying a different um, rate. And um, yeah, the, so, so we, we thought maybe we could establish a mobile show house that, that could be um, a trailer that, that, that explains how tariffs are set, how FBE, free basic electricity is managed, um, how a hot box might work and that, that can move around the, the province. We, we, a lot of people said there needs to be an intermediary between government and the community. So let's develop a community liaison initiative. And then finally, uh, set up a pilot project. So choose one community, one in, uh, it could be an informal settlement, a one poor community, and then really try and shift the engagement picture. And let's learn from that what worked, what didn't. And maybe it's developing on what um, Green Cape have been doing um, and, uh, and um, what the city is doing or the Department of Human Settlements. And now I'm handing over to Richard. Thank you. Okay. Great. Um, thanks for that, Peter. Um, I'm just going to quickly mention a few things on this picture. I know that the picture here is quite busy. It will be in the report when it comes out. I'm not going to go through all of it, but um, if you, I think this is shared off Peter's screen, so you probably won't see my cursor. But anyway, if you look at the right hand, let's start at the left hand side. The left hand side is general public participation. So the example there is NERSA hearings on electricity. That, that exists, uh, it's legally required, but there are some improvements that can be made, such as the venue, the language, um, documenting properly how people's concerns were taken on board. That's not where we focus, because we thought what we actually need is something more along the lines of what's happening on the right-hand side. Now, there are examples, and Rishmi might speak to us about them, but this is instead of a system that's sort of passive where you put something out and say, look, anyone can come and chat, that's it. This is acknowledging that particularly with energy poverty, it relates to you know, communities where they can't always just go and attend meetings that are far away. So the idea is that you need to go to the communities themselves. And there's three main points to this. Is the first one is obviously identifying uh, which communities um, this applies to. 
And then, as Peter's mentioned, you need enumerators or people from the community to really give a picture of what their circumstances are. You know, what are their energy needs? How much are they short each month in terms of being able to pay? What is the, you know, all of these kind of things that we can't guess from the outside. We need community members to tell us that. And then you move down to the second arrow is, as Peter mentioned, community liaison workers who are skilled and trained and trusted and there's continuity. We often heard from people, it's no, no good if each month they deal with someone different. You need to have, um, and that's why it's in the title there, relationship building. And then this idea in the dark blue box is a sort of exchange event. And this talks about the education and communication part because you know, some of the interviews we heard if you arrive and want to speak to people about energy, but they don't understand your side of the story, it becomes a one-way thing. So this idea of an exchange event is almost like two parts. In the first part, um, the uh, municipality or the city or whoever can explain to communities, this is our constraints, this is our side of the story. And then on the other half of the exchange, just like a proper dialogue, hear from the community what all their, um, you know, um, challenges are and then you work forward and then you have these you know as regularly as you can um, and that is a bit of a departure from a sort of open invite public participation event at a big hall somewhere where people come and sit down and just give input one way um, so it's just a sort of more holistic approach we understand that it is um, involves a lot more work um, but it sounds like this is the, the way we actually need to co-create solutions and co-creation speaks to this idea of social justice. It's about getting people involved. So that's enough of that. Um, what we've, uh, so I think, Peter, you can probably stop sharing that screen now. Um, we've got four people who have kindly joined us just to give brief inputs. Um, they've seen the, uh, the, the draft report. Um, before that, I saw one question in the chat. And um, so if there are any other questions of clarity at this stage, please feel free to ask. But I see Kim had said to Peter, is the question of trust regarding the municipal employees or the political appointees in the municipality? Um, Peter, do you have an answer for that question of clarity? It, it's the, the, the trust is uh, across the board. So it's between... Um, uh, that when you talk, say employees, I think it's the, the, the officials, and it, it really came across from across the board, the, the need to build trust and the, 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 the protests, the service delivery protests, the promises, it, 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 the, the, the sense of letdown, um, and then interspersed with violence that impacts on everybody. It, it, the, the, the trust is not, it, it's complex and it, it needs to happen over time. I hope that answers your question. Thanks for that. Before we move on to the first of our four speakers who will give inputs from their um, sides, is any other questions of clarity from anyone? Um, as I said earlier, there is a raise hand function in the participants list. Um, but if I don't see any of those, they're not popping up on my side. Okay, let's move on. Um, the first in order um, to give us some thoughts um, is Brooke Kasim. He is a counselor in the um, 
Cape Town City Metropolitan Council and serves on the Energy and Climate Change Portfolio Committee and is also a member of Subcouncil 10, which is in Kyalicha. So thanks, Farouk. I know you've got lots of thoughts on this. Would you like to share any responses with us? Yes, uh, let me briefly... And you're welcome you to use your video if you'd like. Yeah. All right, but you've seen who I am, so we can switch that <laughs> off. Right. Um, I would really prefer to answer questions, but let me get through some very important points. Are you hearing me clearly? Yes. Right. So to begin with, what one needs to understand that every single municipality has to put on the table what is called the integrated development plan. This is a five-year plan. And each year, this plan has to be updated, revised, and amended. And if we need to put anything uh, in the way of service delivery, it has to go into the IDP. That then attracts budget, and then the departments know exactly what needs to be done. So if something is not in the IDP, it cannot be done. Now, in the city of Cape Town, I have been pushing very hard for the establishment of microgrids. So this would enable a lot of poor communities to be able to get a permanent source of free electricity. Uh, they will then need to be organized and they will need to be trained and maintenance will be their responsibility. The advantage with microgrids is that you could get external sponsors. For example, it could be a macro microgrid, it could be a cell C, or it could be telecom, or any big company could sponsor one such microgrid. And the city of Cape Town, you know, would possibly be the group that would come in and establish the whole thing and hand over to communities. In Stellenbosch, they are being given a number of homes are being given a solar panel and equipment uh, with battery to make sure that they have lighting and charging facilities for their cell phones. Now, this is already being uh, done in Stellenbosch. The city of Cape Town is also promoting the use of wonder bags. These are the cooking bags that allow for slow cooking. Uh, we also would like to see solar cooking ovens and solar cooking pots. And there's a whole lot that can be done with recycled cans or beer cans or cool drink aluminum cans to create very, very effective solar heating for homes. Now, the city of Cape Town really can do more if groups like yourselves get organized and then at the beginning of the new term, which would be in August of next year, clamor to have in the IDP provision for energy justice and transition. So the more we can put into the IDP, the more we can extract out of it. But the magic is really in the IDP. So I'd really like you to ask me questions in order that I can then you know, clarify you on what can be done and how it can be done and how all of us can work together as a team 
to be able to achieve what at the moment might seem to be impossible, but really is within the realms of possibility. Thank you. Great, thanks very much, Brooke. Um, yeah, so that was an invitation essentially. Before we move on to our, our next input, um, does anyone have any particular questions for Brooke around um, IDP um, or anything else he mentioned? Um, otherwise, as I say, we are having sort of an open debate once the other three have, have contributed. Um, but yeah, you can just raise your hand if anyone anyone has any questions. And I just want to check with Gabe. Ah, okay, so I see Mr. Madasi Mayer. Would you like to ask a question? You just need to unmute. Uh, good morning, everybody. Yes, uh, my question is about IDP. Uh, I'm very, I'm very uh, 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 sad about this thing of IDP. Meetings. Uh, we put a lot of things according to civil service department, but bring again to another IDP, we don't see things be raised on the last IDP, which means it, it gives a, 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 a number a, 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 a bad result from the city side. Uh, secondly, how can our communities be aware of this uh, energy uh, problems if the city is not coming to the level of the poor communities and address this thing of energy? Because I see only the, 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 the NGOs that are busy doing this engagement with certain communities, which means I believe it works well because most of the people now are becoming aware what is the problem in energy. Uh, can uh, uh, the, 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 the speaker can uh, elaborate uh, about this thing? When is the public participation is going to take place? Because he's mentioning the next IDP will be next year. But people are suffering now. There's no action. I'm staying in the poor communities, advantaged communities. I never hear even a member of the city of Cape Town come and address this thing. Can we elaborate there? Thank you. Can I come in, Richard? Yes, absolutely. Please do. Yeah, you see, uh, you did mention, for example, that I am on Sub Council 10, which is in Kailicha. And you see, in every ward, there is a ward councillor. And the ward councillor is the person, the ideal person to link with. Because when the IDP is being formulated and each year when it is being revised, uh, people have three months in which to make their comments. And if you know, the people who are the ward councillors participate, take the message out, and if you could use, for example, radios Bonella and other radio, you'd be able to reach many people and then the city could organize if, for example, someone approached our 
portfolio committee and said, we would like an exhibition to be done in a certain spot at a certain time. That could be quite easily arranged. Now, and that is how the knowledge could be spread. The fact is that we do have an IDP at the present moment, and this IDP is going to run until next year. So within that IDP, we have put in some elements, but with more support from groups like yourselves, we would be able to build a more ambitious plan and we would be able to find funding. You see, we have in the city of Cape Town what is called the small scale embedded generation, where we're encouraging residences and businesses to install solar panels. And if they create excess energy, that excess energy could then be passed off to people who are suffering. And if more people came into the program, more energy could be made available. If, for example, every citizen who has an account with the city of Cape Town was told, pay 100 rands extra for two years, and we will then be able to put up massive amount of solar PVs. It will be good for the people who are putting their money in, because as you know, Eskom is in court at present wanting to get, I think, one, uh, 16 billion rands back from consumers. So the price of electricity will keep going up and up if we rely only on Eskom. But if thousands and thousands of people in Cape Town are going the solar route, we would have an abundance of electricity to be able to supply poorer, poorer communities either on a discounted rate or even free. So we should look at all the possibilities and there are many indeed. And I wish we could spend one conference only looking at how we can expand the supply of electricity and how we could pass off excess energy to people who need it, but who do not have the means to afford it. Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks for that response, Farouk. Um, I'm sure there probably are more points on this, but I want to make sure that our other speakers uh, get their chance to give a brief input before we go into open discussion. Um, so I'd like to invite next uh, Lydia Peterson to give us some thoughts. Um, Lydia is from Mitchell's Plain and she's the coordinator of the Women's Circle and is also involved with the Million Climate Jobs Campaign, uh, is passionate about transition to renewables um, and might uh, speak to us about some of the, the difficulties that people have with uh, electricity becoming unaffordable. So Lydia, over to you and thank you for making time. Yes, good morning, Richard. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Yes, maybe just speak a little up, but we can hear you. Okay, let us just do something else here. Okay, is that much better now? That's good, thank you. Okay. Um, I'm Lydia Peterson, I'm from Mutual Spain. I'm a community activist, and um, as you rightfully has said, that um, I'm campaigning for a just energy transition. Um, my view in the communities that I work is that not much is being done in our communities in the indigenous um, sector. What we feel is that um, there is no um, awareness programs there. Um, what we have found also is that if you owe the city anything, it gets deducted when you do your um, electricity purchase. 
Um, what we also feel is that what we do as community workers, the city should actually be doing that. The awareness programs, the inclusiveness of all the um, indigenous households, um, that should be done. It should have been done a very long time ago. As for the IDP, um, not much is known in the communities about that. We just know that it comes around every five years. The buck is being passed from one um, local government to the other when the elections come and go. And um, like I said, not much is being done and our community is frustrated at the um, electricity hikes that comes around every year. And, and they feel that um, whatever they pay is, they just accept it just like that. So if an indigent household cannot survive on 10% of what they get, how are they supposed to um, accommodate any electricity hikes during um, every year? And um, us as activists that's working in these communities have to see all these things that pass by in a household where an indigent household sometimes are led by um, a mother, a grandmother um, who is on a social grant. And for them, it is about putting food on the table. And sometimes they have to resort to so much um, social ills that um, they cannot cope. And also the fact that they have to resort to um, using other energy sources to just make ends meet. And sometimes it's very unsafe. So what we feel is that um, inclusion for our indigent homes, that is not um, on the cards right now. We see, I see that the political will for the city, what they have said is that there should be um, more inclusiveness of the, um, the poor. Um, I'd like to see that happen. And um, as far as we see, nothing has happened um, so far. We just hope that um, with this um, project that's now going, we will be able to see more results. Thank you, Richard. Great. Thank Great. you very much, Thank Lydia, for your inputs there. Um, the same as the previous speaker, before we move on um, to, to Reshmi, does anyone have any, any particular questions for Lydia about her experience in the community where she stays, or engagement with IDPs, or anything like that? Okay, I'm not seeing any hands come up. Okay, great. Well, let's move on to our next speaker, um, which as you will have seen in the program, um, is Reshmi Volvers. And, um, you know, uh, as she said to me, she's modeled her career on a commitment to sustainability, access to energy and diversity. Um, she's senior energy analyst at Green Cape uh, and also works on projects related to alternate uh, service delivery and growth of energy services within the green economy. Um, and certainly our take on the work that the Alternate Service Delivery Unit has done um, is along the lines of the type of stuff we would like to see more of. Um, so Reshmi, if you'd like to give us some thoughts, that would be great. Hi everyone, uh, thanks for having me Richard and uh, Peter and thanks for the work that you guys have been doing. Um, particularly with your uh, report. Uh, hello to everyone else as well. Um, I think you might just need to speak up a little bit or get a little closer to the microphone. Okay, hold on one second. Can you hear me now? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Thank okay, you. great. I'll just keep my microphone in my mouth. Though. <laughs> um, 
Great. So, I mean, uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about the ASDU because I, I think it's been mentioned a few times and I don't know if you have had a chance to uh, read the reports or, or uh, see our work yet. Um, but uh, I work for an NPO called GreenCape. Uh, we are set up to remove any barriers to the growth of the green economy in South Africa. Uh, and we've been doing a lot of work in uh, Cape Town in the Western Cape. Um, and we do work with the, the governments uh, here as well. Um, we started a unit called the Alternative Service Delivery Unit uh, about three years ago. And we're working in three different communities uh, in the city of Cape Town. Um, these, uh, the unit itself is an independent off-grid uh, service delivery unit, uh, which works in underserviced and underserved areas. Uh, to date, we have only worked on private land, so please note that it ha it's not on city land, um, and so we, we haven't really been beholden to those um, you know, parameters as well. Um, what we do is we work with the communities in those areas. As a first step, we actually just uh, go in and we... Uh, enumerate these communities with volunteers from the area so that they have a, um, you know, data about themselves. Um, we don't go in um, saying that we're going to be providing energy services or we're going to be providing alternative water services or whatever it is. Uh, it's just actually about mobilizing communities to have the data about themselves. Um, and with that information, they can decide if they want to um, you know, take that information to municipalities if they want to uh, uh, take it to uh, a different uh, funder or, or a service provider. Um, they can decide what they want to do with it. Uh, ultimately, in each of these three communities, they've decided to uh, allow us to continue our work in these um, areas. What we did then, the data that we collected, um, you know, data alone is not uh, enough. Uh, you have to interpret that data. And we did that through a co-design process with the community's leaders. Um, and with some of the community members themselves. Uh, and we try to uh, really uh, understand if that data was representative of their communities. Uh, there are very many reasons why data alone is not uh, sufficient um, or, or accurate even. Uh, people, well, one, there's this level of distrust um, that has been uh, alluded to earlier on uh, and in the report um, that's been picked up by a couple of different stakeholders. Um, and also there's this, you know, there's, uh, survey fatigue. Uh, every other, you know, organization wants to come in and find out information about these communities and then uh, just uh, uh, never, never comes back to the communities with the information that they've collected. Uh, so there's all of these factors. Uh, there's also the, the, uh, the point that people might just be embarrassed to admit that they use, you know, bush toilets uh, versus flush toilets, or they uh, don't want to um, admit their income because they're worried about what that might impact their, their grant funding, or they, you know, for obvious reasons, don't want to say that they're using informal energy connections um, uh, in, their, in their homes. So variety of reasons. So we try to use that data, we verify it, and then we work with the community leaders to um, understand what their, um, you know, ideals are for their community, um, what their challenges are in their community, um, because um, communities, they're not homogenous and they know their context better than anyone else. Um, so engaging with them, involving them from the beginning in the decision making um, and in designing their solutions for solving their challenges is critical. Um, I noticed some challenges on, on you know, uh, people being worried about raising expectations and the, the, also uh, the lack of uh, interest or skills amongst uh, residents uh, to comment on, you know, 
how their challenges should be solved. Firstly, I think that active facilitation is, is critical and that's something that um, you know, governments uh, should be putting money into, into uh, people who are able to actually uh, facilitate conversations and to build trust in these communities. Um, firstly, in our experience, because we were warned uh, before we went into any of these communities to work in that um, we shouldn't be making any promises that we can't uh, keep. So, um, and, and fair enough. So one of the things uh, to say here is that engagement alone does not create expectations. Um, careful facilitation uh, can ensure that people understand um, what's being offered or what the processes can, are, are to be. And then to um, also to ensure that no promises are made that uh, can't be kept. Um, and also instead of just in terms of that that uh, comment on uh, people's lack of uh, interest or their inability to to comment uh, for whatever reason instead of just receiving comments um, a good facilitator tries to really understand and to actually you know actively listen uh, and to really capture the essence of the challenge that's being conveyed um, you know of course uh, communication of information is important uh, but these people are living with these challenges day to day, uh, and this is their lived reality. So their inability to articulate it shouldn't mean that they don't understand what their challenges are. Um, I think it's our responsibility as NGOs, MPOs, the private sector, the public sector, everyone else really who's trying to solve these problems to really listen to what's being said and to try and uh, make sure that we understand uh, what is needed. Um, but before I go into the recommendations, I, I diverted a little bit there. Um, I want to tell you what we did in these three communities that we've been working in so far. So we worked with them. We understood what their uh, challenges were. We tried to get them to, I mean, we appreciate that there are many challenges uh, in these communities uh, for sure, uh, but we wanted to uh, ask them to prioritize which challenges they wanted us to solve using energy. So which of these challenges being solved would be uh, the most urgent and which of these is the most uh, could be the most impactful uh, had had potential to change lives um, and so um, in some of these communities uh, in Vitsan in particular uh, our data showed that 80% of the children in this community did not go to school and that they were walking at least a maybe up to a kilometer at night to go to the toilets on the periphery um, we learned that um, there, obviously there was a lack of services in that area um, and so on, but um, they also didn't have any, um, uh, you know, because of lack of education and the lack of um, abilities to, to have social enterprise, um, they, they, they really didn't have a lot going for them. But with that information, we managed to go out uh, to find a service provider called Think Wi-Fi, and I'm sure you, well, I hope you have heard about this project, where they are offering solar powered Wi-Fi enabled streetlights in this community. Um, and so now people are able to, you know, while well, they can connect to the internet, um, they are able to have uh, area lighting uh, where previously uh, they felt unsafe going uh, out at night um, with the increased crime in that area. Um, and they're able to have uh, social enterprises around these uh, streetlights. Um, in two other communities on airport land, um, we have uh, tended to find um, uh, service providers that can provide solar home systems. Um, and in this whole process, we try to understand what people's affordability is, uh, because it's not to say that people in um, informal settlements or in underserved communities uh, can't pay. If you think about what they're paying um, in, for the alternative, uh, it's, um, you know, it's sometimes exorbitant. Um, 
affordability is a is a you know it's it's something to be to be really uh, highlighted. Um, we have a 85% electrification rate in the whole of South Africa, but um, I don't think that's an accurate uh, number when it comes to people who can actually have reliable, uh, safe access to energy, you know, throughout the month. Um, if you do have access to formal electrification, you might be able to use it for uh, the first two weeks, maybe if you're lucky, and then after that you can't afford to use it anymore because the price of electricity is so high. Um, but also, on the other hand, people uh, in these two communities that we were working in were paying 50 rand a week for just candles. Um, and then there's the cost of gas, there's the cost of paraffin, there's the cost of everything else that they have to use. So instead, we um, developed a, a business model which um, meant that they were paying 50 rand a week uh, for a solar home system, which at the end of three years they own when they're being relocated. Um, and that really diverts that unproductive use of, of money even uh, to something that, um, uh, that is more of an asset to them. Um, uh, when we talk about, uh, you know, the, in informal economies, uh, so much is unregulated. So while I might be paying a certain amount for gas um, uh, uh, here, um, in some of these communities, they're paying way more than what is actually um, required, which is counterintuitive because they possibly have uh, less money to spend on it than, than, than I might. Um, so just to move on to, to some of the uh, recommendations that you had, you know, we can't go from black to white overnight. Um, there are a series of injustices to be overcome on our path to be, uh, on our path to a just transition, um, particularly with the just energy transition. Um, we need to find out what that, um, that middle ground is. Um, it's also important to uh, understand that government is severely constrained. Uh, informal settlements are growing at a rapid rate. Um, I think currently there are 460 or seven, like there, there are 400 and something informal settlements. It's double the number it was uh, five years ago. Um, and they can't, and, I, and I, I don't think they should be expected to deliver all of these services but they should develop frameworks that encourage and enable active citizenry and also uh, enable um, uh, you know, the ability to hold hands with the private sector uh, to create public-private partnerships. Uh, but for that, we need to tackle what's even allowed in their um, you know, MFMA in terms of asset transfer and um, ownership um, uh, to, to help them uh, or to help us help them. Um, their IDPs and other plans need to also take into account that informality is on the rise um, and that it is here to stay and and we need to it needs to be an adaptable plan that encourages uh, quick decision making and turnaround um, we've been working with a few uh, different line uh, departments in the city of cape town that are responsible for service delivery so across energy water and waste um, to really understand their challenges and to help them systematically uh, or systemically be be more open to alternative technologies uh, models uh, and services to improve service delivery and um, all of which uh, demands community engagement um, and 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 you know honest community engagement um, so i think um councillor kasim uh, mentioned he hoped for a conference which you know showcases all of these possibilities and that's uh, exactly what we hope to do um, in around march april next year um, we want to showcase best case examples of projects that have been delivered around the country and in the world, uh, which make use of innovative business models um, for alternative tech and uh, services that can be contextualized for the Cape Town context and which uh, municipalities can uh, take learnings from uh, in terms of how to uh, adapt their own uh, systems to, to allow this. Um, so from this experience, uh, 
I mean, I think that government has uh, plenty of working groups, um, many working on the exact same thing and not talking to each other. Um, I don't think they need new ones. Um, I think they need to figure out their systems such that they're able to contract um, private or nonprofit or NGOs uh, to do this work because, um, you know, we do have the experience, we have built the relationships, um, uh, we can foster the, you know, better working conditions between city and um, um, communities where there is a massive distrust. Um, and probably due to a lack of honest communication, uh, less than their actual delivery, because it's on a last note, I, I think city of Cape Town and, you know, the province has done a tremendous amount of work, but I think the communication of that is poor or uh, sometimes misrepresented. Thanks. Great. Thank you so much, Reshmi. That's, um, there's a lot of good points there. Um, does anyone have any specific questions of clarity for, for Reshmi before we move on? You can either put it in the chat or raise your hand. If I don't see any, that was obviously because you <laughs> put it through very clear. There was a lot okay. of information. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, so just quickly to some of the things you mentioned, like this role of facilitation and how to manage expectations. I mean, we've heard that a lot in our community discussions. And that's in that image I showed the, the, where community liaison officers would fulfill that role. They, they know how to do this kind of thing. Um, but I think the, the point we, we were trying to make is that this is the type of engagement we see as, as being the way forward. And it's it's not the type of thing that can happen in a straightforward open invite public participation where people just rock up at a venue. Um, the same with what you're talking about, about getting the information as to what communities want to prioritize. And Peter mentioned the same thing. You know, for one people, it might be streetlights. For others, it might be something different. Um, and I guess the real sort of question we are trying to delve with, and hopefully when we get to the open conversation just now is, how do we get more of this type of thing? I mean, we, we very much understand the constraints. I mean, ASDU and Green Cape can only do so much, and as Project 90, we can only do so much, and the other NGOs, but how, if there is agreement that this is the right way of doing things, how can we ramp it up to do more of it? I think that's a, a key question, maybe for anyone here to think about. Um, and that speaks to your point, Reshmi, you're talking about setting up these frameworks for active citizenry. It's not that, you know, government has to do everything, but at least put it in place so people can help themselves when they can. Like that, that photo Peter had of, of people working together to insulate a room. Okay, um, folks, I've had a message. So Wandile was gonna be speaking next. He is an activist from Kailicha. Um, it seems he's had difficulty getting to the office there where he would be speaking from. And I think this is almost an example exactly of the type of things we're speaking about. I mean, this is, having trouble getting to our own event. And, you know, this is the type of thing we're expecting uh, community members often just to arrive at, at places for, for national um, meetings on these kind of things. Um, so hopefully he does arrive and he can give some input. Um, but until then, you know, we'd like to now open the discussion with, with everyone who's here. Um, on, on any of the topics that are raised. Um, I mean, our interest would be if we can move towards action and getting things happen. Um, but we also wanted to be open that if there's particular issues you want to ask any of the speakers, if there are issues you want to raise uh, that you felt have been missed, um, then we're open for any of that. 
Um, and just as one last bit of clarity, which I, I didn't mention earlier on, is um, we have finished the work on this report. It's had four sets of reviewing and a, and a second editor. And this whole process has meant that it's still with the designer um, having all the bits done so that we can release it on the worlds. So we can't actually send it to you today, um, but within a week or so, everyone is here. We've got your emails, you will get the report. Um, so, but, but the speakers have had a look at the, at the draft. So yeah, I'd like to open the floor. Has anyone got any, any issues they would like to raise? Any comments? Um, how do we improve the circumstances around community engagement and, and how do we tackle this issue of energy poverty? Um, so I'll just look for any hands in the chat. Um, and one of the issues that was raised was also around, um, you know, the IDP and, you know, I mean, in, in our community program at Project 90, we have, we've heard the same thing. Yes, it's there, but the question is, can communities actually really engage with it as, as much as, as they would like to? Um, and if the IDP, as what they're saying, is your avenue where you can get things in, how do you improve the ability of people to have input there? Um, so does anyone have any thoughts on this? Uh, sorry, could I come in on that? Absolutely. Yeah, you see the IDP, because it's over three months and any group can work with any counselor to try and create a program to put into the IDP. Now I have uh, good capabilities with language and I have been able to make inputs into the IDP. So for example, if this group and other groups that are interested in energy efficiency and trying to get uh, you know, tariffs to become more reasonable, if we worked together, then we could put a substantial amount into the IDP as a recommendation and then get people to back it up. So if a whole lot of people like a thousand or 2000 people were to then uh, submit to the IDP office their support, then we would be able to put that into the IDP and then look for funding, whether it's from government source. Sometimes you can even get funding from outside of the country. For example, the German and the Dutch uh, regularly support programs. So if we have that project, if people and communities are organized and they say, yes, let's work as a team, then it's not that difficult. So long as you've got one counselor in the city or anywhere in South Africa who is willing to be the partner in ensuring that it gets into the IDP. So we can do this collectively. Okay, thanks Farouk. Um, yeah, and I think that speaks to the whole sort of uh, principle of just transition is it is a, a collective effort in getting people involved um, and that's an idea we can maybe take forward what, what you presented about a, working together as a collective to bring ideas into the IDP rather than you know, relying on people individually having to do it. Thanks for that. Um, has anyone else got any topics they want to raise at this point? Otherwise, we can um, suggest some ideas that um, some, some questions we had. Um, I don't know if Patrick or any of the other community members who are on the call, do you have any responses to any of the, the points that have been made so far? Uh, 
Uh, let me see what's popped up in the chat here. Um, Richard, can I come yeah. in? Yes, please do. Um, I, I, I think, um, Councillor Farid Kassim, you, you've raised an important point, but and and um, I think all everyone is saying we need to work together. The 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 question is, I think there are really good counsellors, uh, and I spoke to two in the research, um, but, it, but there, there, there's a disconnect. So uh, the, the, the question for me is the how, and um, I think there is work happening, and we've heard um, uh, about uh, from um, Reshmi's given some really good insights into the work they're doing. But but the 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 truth is it's it's there's an intention and that's we're all saying the same thing. And um, I, I also uh, so so the for me the question is the real how do we shift this so that it uh, it, it, it's more than um, a champion or a particular counsellor or an organisation, a civil society organisation doing the work. And then there's the second point that I want to, uh, I saw in the um, two things in the chat, L Lydia, you, you know, you said here that, that, um, that communities need to have their voices heard, and that that's what's come out really strongly. And um, what's sitting in my head also is, is uh, something, um, Reshmi, you said. You, you know, one of the counsellors that I interviewed, she she said that um, a comment might be put out there about dog walking, for instance. But that that's not what's important to a poor community. They they need to put food on the table. So so I, I suppose I'm just saying, how do we do this? And then the second thing that I want to engage with, um, uh, Lydia and Shlengiwe raised uh, the gender issue which doesn't come out very strongly in the report. And um, I think that's uh, uh, something important that we maybe adjust slightly because we haven't finalized it. But uh, I'd like to hear more um, from you around the, 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 what, what you were thinking about the gender question. Richard, could I, could I answer that, Richard? Yep, go for it. You're right. Now, the question, it's a good question. How do we do this? So we need to look at the 2021 iteration of the IDP. Look at how things are worded there and begin to start altering that wording. This is the, the trick with the IDP, that you have to deal with the wording so that the exact wording you want to see in the IDP is what then materializes. Now, this can be done by your group independently. We could meet in a, you know, together and then take the ideas and then we frame it. We then pass it out to people and say to them, are you happy with the way in which we have framed it? 
Do you think that we should make any improvements? And then it is possible to submit it to the IDP on the basis, you know, I can submit it as a counselor or we can submit it jointly with all our names and say that we uh, together are submitting this for inclusion into the IDP. And then at that stage, the draft goes out to the public for public participation. And this is where then all the activists can come in and say that, look, what we have put into the IDP, let us all support it. And then if the support comes from all directions, it becomes written into the IDP. And after that, it's a question of implementation. So the how can be managed either by you as a group or by all of us working together to actually write what should go into the IDP. That's how it can be done. Thanks, Farouk, for that uh, concrete suggestion. So building on what you said before, as a collective, it's, it's specifically working on the wording in the IDP. Great. Uh, Lydia, you've got a hand up. Lydia, you didn't have a hand it's up. Gabriel on the side. Um, I had a question. Um, okay. It's, <laughs> sorry. Um, it's to anyone who can answer it um, in, the, in the space right now. Um, so, as you know, I, oh, many might not know, so I'm a communications assistant and a youth ambassador for Project 90 by 2030, and I'm also the youth coordinator for the African Climate Alliance, which is a youth-led affinity movement. Um, and so my question is, in regards to this, we've we heard a lot about community engagement, and I completely believe that youth are a very pivotal and very essential part of community engagement. Um, my question comes in, um, obviously, I know a bit more, but uh, maybe some clarity will be helpful. Um, what was the kind of process that, that what was the, the, the uh, feedback from youth that you interviewed or, or got, um, you know, the, the questionnaires back from, as well as uh, in the space that we discussed, so there's conversations about having different um, levels of or different groups of civil society work together in groups um, moving forward. Um, in those spaces, what does the involvement of youth look like? Um, I ask because I know that youth, I would like to see a lot more youth present. But, you know, when you talk with quote-unquote adults, um, the, the issue comes up where it's like, no, we can give you like one spot on the, on the table and then that spot is ceremonial. Um, so that's kind of my question that you can maybe talk. Thank you. Uh, should I respond uh, initially to that, uh, Richard? Yes, please do. Um, yeah, so uh, it's a good question, and um, it, you, you, you know, we, we, um, we looked at, we talked to community people and community leaders, but then we thought we need to hear the voice of the youth, and uh, I, I, I think it's really critical that youth are brought in, and um, uh, the, 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 the kind of key messages coming out of the, uh, the, the questionnaires to the youth were um, that they um, don't, then, then they can't meet their energy needs through FBE where they get it. And uh, they, uh, many of them raise the issue of illegal connections. And um, whilst they recognize that the, this uh, poses a 
safety uh, risk to them and their families, they, they said we need electricity, so we have to ignore that risk. Um, but uh, uh, what came up very strongly was uh, also be, being informed and educated and having voices um, heard. And so, so I, I, I hope I might have answered your question, but I also want to just uh, respond to uh, Councillor Kasim uh, as well. And I, I hear what you're saying, but um, two, two of the people in government that I interviewed, so, so this is a, perhaps a more general comment, um, had previously worked um, in civil, for civil society organizations. And I, I think that there was a really pertinent comment from both those people, uh, which was when they were in civil society, they were very critical of government and what government wasn't doing and wasn't coming to the party. And now being in government, they, they, were, they were seeing a different picture. And, and what that says to me is that they're, they're, it, it's not a simple let's work together because we all come with, with, with our own baggage, if you like, our own perceptions of what civil society, what the community are like, um, and maybe a bit fearful and what the what government are like and very critical so we, be, before you can engage you have to face some of those those issues and they're not easy so yeah I just wanted to add that thanks can I reply Richard yep look it's not easy but on the other hand it is not impossible. Uh, what one needs to do, for example, on the question of climate emergency. Now, what I have done, I've raised this very sharply in council, but then I've also taken this up in the newspapers through letters which are regularly published, in which I continually challenge the mayor to make the declaration so much so that he's now becoming very sensitive and says to me, look, look, we're not that far you know, opposed. We're in fact quite close. So I say to him, okay, if we're quite close, when are we going to close the gap? So it's a question of how hard you want to push. And as Lydia will also know that you do not give up. And councillors have the platform. They got opportunities in, count, in meetings of council and of portfolios to be able to raise issues to such a degree that eventually fellow councillors toe the line and say, look, we're not going to fight this issue. We're going to now start finding commonality. That is how I wrote a letter to the minister, which is supported by all the councillors, that we should be able to get electricity from IPPs and do a little deal with them to say, when you have extra supply which you cannot sell, won't you give it to us free of charge so we can then distribute it to the poorer communities? So there are ways and means, and we must explore every single ways and means. And having been in parliament, having been now in the city, 
I know that we can do things. For example, we submitted yesterday a bill to parliament to completely change the way in which elections are taking place. Now, this would have been an impossibility in many quarters, but we've done it and the bill is now in parliament and it's going to be ready for debate. So let's not put the challenge beyond our capabilities. If we work together, I assure you, I know from all my years of experience that together we can be a formidable force for good. It's just that we need to know that what is being done is being supported by everyone. That's what people want. If we have that consensus, that agreement, I will prove to you that we can achieve what would be close to miracles. Thank you. Great, thanks once again, Farouk. Those encouraging words. I see um, Natalie has her hand up. Natalie, would you like to jump in here? Um, you might still be on mute, Natalie. Okay, just, just while we wait for Natalie there, um, there were just two questions in the, the chat, if, if you haven't seen it, um, talking about the Department of um, Human Settlements and their informal settlement support program. Um, if anyone on the call is uh, from there, please say so. But as Peter said, they, they were part of the people we interviewed. And um, although they might not, energy might not be their, their number one priority, they are, they are definitely part of, of the story. Um, and there were some, uh, some good information that, that came from them. Um, so Natalie, okay, well, maybe she isn't able to connect there. Um, and then just see there's another comment here in the chat um, from James, um, City of Cape Town's resilience strategy, um, property assessed clean energy program. Uh, that is something we do mention in the report. Um, the question is, are there plans to trial a PACE model and who would do that? I'm not sure, does anyone on the call have any knowledge about trials that would happen. I, I know there's something that is being investigated conceptually. Does anyone on the call have more knowledge about how exactly that would be done? Okay, I see a hand up. It looks like Mike Ward, if I got the sorry, name right. Sorry, Richard. Uh, it's Stephen here from uh, City of Cape Town C40. Just to respond, yep. uh, if I can, to James' question. Yes, it is. It's definitely something that um, the team in sustainable energy markets is looking at um, at trialing, and uh, there's a lot of discussion going on. I'm not directly involved myself, but I know my colleagues um, uh, are Mary Hawes, sort of leading that work. Um, it's yeah something that they, we've been engaging with uh, the city's finance team on on exactly how it would work. But yeah, it's definitely one of the actions, as James points out, that was proposed in the resilience strategy and which we're also taking forward in the, in the climate action plan. Great, thanks, Steve. If you know a little bit about it, do you, do you just quickly want to, in a sentence or two, describe what exactly PACE is? Um, I'll try. Um, yeah, it's essentially, it's, it's a way of 
um, basically installing, uh, say, renewable energy generation um, on 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 a, in a property and financing it differently, so that the and it's aimed at, at sort of middle income households, so that you know where there's challenges in putting up the capital. So what happens is the a sort of third party would would put up the capital um, and the recoupment of the cost would be attached to the the rates of on that property something along those lines i think that's a very crude description so it's not aimed at high income households who you know would be able to finance it themselves through their you know through their home loans or through their own finance but uh, at households that wouldn't easily be able to get access to to such finance and that would be to ultimately also adds value to the house and then if someone sells that house then you know the 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 equipment the assets would remain on on the site of the property on the roof or wherever it's installed and then um, it would continue to be part of the house and then ultimately it would sort of also be paid off um but through the through the rates account great thanks for that Stephen. um so yeah, and um, maybe just put a little bit in the, the chat, just a little brief summary from the report on that. Um, and as Reshmi puts there, you can read about it in the 2020 um, Energy Services Market Report, and there's, there's a link to it there. Yeah, so, that, so that's just another way of enabling more people to get involved. Because um, as you're saying, uh, and rightly so, a lot of a lot of people are not able to put up the capital up front for these kind of things. Um, so the fact that this can be uh, financed back over time, um, and that, that the system that or whatever that you put in is linked to the property, not the individual, it it, it just helps with uh, with rolling these things out. So thanks for that, Stephen. Um, I do still see a hand up. I, was that because Stephen, your name comes up here separately? There's another. Um, Mike Ward, is that correct? Yeah, thanks very much, Richard. Uh, Mike Ward, and working with the with the climate investment funds and the multilateral development banks. And the piece of work that that we've been trying to do is to develop a kind of strategic uh, framework, I suppose, for for just transition. So to look at things like procedural justice, which is obviously the focus of of the discussion today, and then distributive justice and particularly I think under procedural justice to open up all of the kinds of things that, that various participants have been chatting about. So things like recognition, you know, who gets recognized in, in these conversations, uh, which per perspectives are, are given value or weight. Uh, issues around participation, so how do we enable and support participation? And then of course around uh, the institutional structures that, uh, that enable that, that kind of engagement. And, and I'm just wondering whether people on the call know where the similar work is going on at a kind of really local level like this. So often we work at either these international levels or a national level. And the, the richness of this discussion is starting to, to highlight what happens at a, at a very local level. So yeah, just whether those sorts of frameworks are, are being developed, whether people are using similar kinds of concepts to help us to focus strategically on key aspects of, of just transition uh, yeah, whether it's it is things like like access to electricity or recognition or uh, or participation. So I'll leave it there. Thank you. Great, Mike. Thanks for that. Um, okay, I see Natalie's got her hand uh, back up. Are you able to come in now, Natalie? Yes. Can you hear me? 
Uh, we can now. Good. Okay. Um, I, I wasn't sure how to raise this, but and maybe um, just introduce yourself quickly. My name is Natalie, and I'm from Project Ninety, and I work in the Community Partnerships Program, and we capacitating local community activists to engage on electricity issues um, at, at government level. Um, I feel that nobody has said this, unless when I drop out, somebody has said it already, but I think that there needs to be, I want to, I'm wanting to highlight um, the, the people's participation. We say that we want people to participate, but we are not, I think we are not listening to people properly. So number one, people are saying we, we don't have proper access to electricity. So that's a thing. And I think that the solutions or the options have to be extremely clear. I think it was Patrick who said, I think it was Patrick who said, the problem is now. It's, we are experiencing this for the last few years. That's the one thing. The other thing people are saying is that the IDP is not as accessible as everyone seems to think it is. It's a brilliant document, don't get me wrong, Mr. Kasim. Uh, and I absolutely agree that that is the way that one should go. But it's not going to help if, the, if what happens on the ground. So I really appreciate what, uh, uh, the kinds of things that Mr. Kasim is saying. But the reality is that, that the ward council is inaccessible, that the ward committees are inaccessible, that people in government, people in local government are not hearing what people are saying or how people are saying, and they're not coming to the table with solutions. So I feel that in terms of this question uh, or the study, this is a fundamental question. This should be the first, the first thing. How do we solve the problem, you know? And I don't think that... Yeah, okay, I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Um, Richard, could I come in there? Uh, yep. Yeah, thanks, uh, Richard. Look, uh, you see, you don't need to have every single councillor on board. You just need one because that councillor then can give you the opening to achieve what you want to achieve. And even now, for example, if, you know, uh, half a dozen or a dozen people wanted to come to the next portfolio committee meeting, that could be easily arranged. And we could easily put an item up for discussion. All we need is an organized group of people to say that we are the people who would like to see this happen. For example, many, many people in South Africa do not know that Section 12B of the income tax allows businesses to by through depreciation to write off the entire cost of the PV installation. So if we could take this message out to all of them and say, why are you not taking advantage of this? So if a whole lot of electricity is being generated through all of the people who can afford it, the surplus can then be made available to poorer people straight away. This doesn't have to be years and years in the making. We could be talking about months, but most businesses, if you were to ask them, do you know of Section 12B 
in the income tax, which gives you this break. Why are you not taking advantage of it? Why are you not reducing the cost of electricity to yourself? And then why are you not then helping to distribute the excess to poorer people? So if 10,000 people in the city of Cape Town were installing PV, there would be so much more electricity. And that the cost of buying electricity from, the, from Eskom would fall. Now, at the moment, you know, there is a whole lot of electricity that is being stolen. Lots of people are connecting illegally. And the problem is that the transformers are blowing up. And all of these costs then becomes costs to the people who are buying electricity. So here's an opportunity for all of us to get together so that we can share the information and we can use the platforms that are available, not to complain about what can't be done, but what we can achieve and what we can do by working cooperatively. Thank you. Thanks again. Uh, I can't find my hand to put my hand up, but my hand's up. <laughs> okay, great. I think Natalie had got in before you. So let me go to Natalie and then back to you. Natalie. Okay. Thanks, maybe. Uh, anyway, um, so I want to assure Mr. Kasim that you are first on my list for, for uh, appointments uh, in the very, very near future, probably January. Um, me and all the people that we work with, we are going to come and talk to you about the solutions that you proposed. In terms of the, and I, it's very exciting. Yes, great. We're going to look at that. And I appreciate your uh, enthusiasm, <laughs> but, but I still feel that the, the challenges on the ground are insurmountable, but you're going to fix all that for us. But I do think in terms of the study, um, I hope that we are not going to uh, perpetuate the view that alternative energy like um, uh, wonder bags are the solution for poor people. People want access and deserve access and have the right to energy access as everyone else has. So when I switch on my light, I want to have electricity like everyone else. So the issue is not, in fact, it's just, it upsets me when people say that or suggest, I appreciate the good intention. And we also pr promote the use of wonder bags and alternative energy solutions. But at the end of the day, the key fight must be, or rather the key something must be, not fight, since not a violent word like fight, the key thing that we must be addressing is that we all have access to the grid. And I, I'm just saying that I hope that that is extremely clear in the report. Thank you. Thanks for that, Natalie. Before we get to Peter, yes, I mean, that, that is mentioned, you know, this, um, the, the acknowledgement that people do want um, electricity where possible, and, and it's not all just about uh, giving out other technologies. The, the main focus and the recommendations we're talking about is more the process of getting people involved. And in that process, that's where you can talk about things like how do we get access to electricity rather than alternatives? How do we afford it? Um, so the, the focus is really about the process of talking about things and, and, and the type of stuff you're talking about is, is, is the type of thing that you do once these, these systems are set up. Um, Peter, back to you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I, I want to respond to Natalie, and, uh, but, but I also want to acknowledge, um, Farouk, your being here at this meeting. 
your availability and your positiveness and I, 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 and it's fantastic to hear Natalie that you're going to set up a meeting because that's what's being offered. I think the report is very clear that people want electricity. That's what they want. That's what they need. And that's what they have a right to actually. And, and what would be really great in the last bit of this um, meeting is to maybe engage a little bit with our recommendations because I, I, I think we really heard that people um, uh, aren't, um, sorry, I just saw Reshmi's chat, so I, I got distracted, um, that people feel their voices aren't being heard. And I, I think we need to address that. So one way is is take up um, Councillor Kasim's offer, but but we we came up with a, a few ideas, and I think it'd be really great to engage a little bit with those ideas in order to to solve some of the problems that have been reiterated in in this um, in this meeting. Thanks. Cool, thanks for that, Peter. Um, I can put those up on the screen um, just now. Um, I see there's a, um, in the chat from Ngiwe, do you, do you wanna maybe talk us um, through that um, about you know, productive uses of energy? Have, have you done any, any work on that? Uh, hi, uh, thank you for, for the opportunity. No, I haven't, I haven't done, uh, um, um, done a little bit of it, uh, maybe three, or, uh, three years ago, but I haven't done anything recently. But, but I have been uh, doing some research around it um, on protective uses, but, but uh, most of it is happening outside of South Africa. I don't think much of it is encouraged in South Africa. But when you talk about protective uses, it's like having uh, communities starting um, um, businesses to, to be able to, um, such as a, a, a women's group starting a baking company or being able to start a sewing business or baking uh, and all of those things. is like while we're talking about energy access, it, it's great that people have lighting and, and, that's, and, and, that, and that is important, but they, it, it would be nice that you take it a, a step further that people are able to, to then also start their own business that way well, we, we, we cancel the issue of affordability because then people are able to then generate their own money to 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 think to pay uh, to pay back the electricity. I think Rashmi has already touched on it around uh, um, providing Wi-Fi to people. That uh, what then you, um, the next uh, engagement around that is um, you have access to Wi-Fi. What can you do with it? What what can people actually in terms of being able to generate money from from having a Wi-Fi? So I think. That those kind of conversations need to also start uh, uh, happening with communities to say, uh, um, don't just look at having access to it, but how can you ensure that that generates income for you, for you and your and, and your household? That's what I was thinking about. Thank you. Right. Thanks for that. And I and I guess that also feeds into part of this idea about um, uh, communication education is letting people know what opportunities there are if they if they have more energy and then there's possibly ways to make 
make your own sort of money and businesses out of it. Um, just to follow on from Peter, I'll just share the slide that has the sort of five main areas of recommendations. Um, if, if there is interest um, to talk about these any further, um, hopefully you can see them there. Um, and, you know, like particularly the third one about establishing a mobile sort of unit. And, and this comes out of the idea that it's often difficult for communities to get to meetings. So can, can we take, um, you know, the conversation to them and, and also to demonstrate things? So if it is, you know, how to use um, alternative technologies to actually be able to show people how to do this, we, we thought would be good. Um, but it would be good to hear if people think this is a completely outlandish idea and it will never work. Um, and this idea at the, at the top of having a sort of working group on this, you know, that speaks to what Brooke uh, is talking about, like a collective working on it. I mean, there are already groups interested in these type of things, but, you know, one that, that is specifically looking um, at, at community engagement or or have we missed uh, ones that are already out there and we just need to, to get them to work together? Um, so I'd welcome if, if anyone does have thoughts on that. Um, otherwise, I just need to work out how to go back to the chat or maybe Gabriel can let me know if anyone's got a, a hand up at Richard, the moment. Can, can I come in on that, Richard? Uh, yes, please go. Yeah, let's, let's take the first one, establish an energy solutions working group. I would be happy to participate with such a group. I would like, uh, you know, for that group then to, for example, come over to sub council 10, where we, it's quite easy to arrange, uh, you know, a meeting with sub council 10, and then we get Kaya Licha as a starting point involved, then to set up a pilot project. So if we could take number one and number five, uh, we could make this a project for, 2021. And I would be very, very happy indeed to meet with Natalie. And then if that project succeeds in Kailicha, then it could be extended also to Mitchell's plane. Or if you know we need to do, if we have the capacity, then let's try and do two projects, one in Kailicha, one in Mitchell's plane. And in that way, we begin to show to people how it is possible to access alternative energy in a cheaper way. So let's not forget about what I spoke about earlier, and that is the microgrid. We have had a lot of discussion of, about this in our portfolio committee, and I think we need to start educating people about why it is important to establish microgrids so that you could then get either free electricity supply or much cheaper electricity supply than at present through the ordinary grid. So this is what I would like to make, you know, as a parting shot and leave you with that thought. And if there is support for it, then we can take it forward. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks once again, Farouk, for the uh, enthusiasm and the, um, the willingness to take some of these ideas forward. Has anyone else got um, thoughts or wanting to volunteer that they could help out with this? And, you know, obviously if an idea like this gains a bit of traction, um, Project 90 could assist and maybe put a proposal together to get some funding for this type of thing. Uh, perhaps other groups already do have, have funding that they are that they are looking to, to put on things like this. Um, 
Richard, if no one else yeah. is coming on, I could take one other point that Shengyu were made. And that is, I have a motion in front of the council for the 3rd of December. And that motion is for establishing mesh network to allow Wi-Fi to be spread through communities that do not have Wi-Fi connection. So they can all watch out for this. It will be on the 3rd of December and the topic will be mesh networking. Okay, great. Thanks for that. And then that speaks to what I heard in some of the interviews about access to information. Because if, if Wi-Fi is more available, then, then people can uh, not only communicate, but access some information. I saw, uh, I think, Patrick, is that your hand up again? Mr. Farouk is trying to... To speed up this in mentioning two areas, Kylie Cha and, 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 and Nature's Plain. All the communities are important. Let's be flat footed on that. That is my first point. Two, I'm not against what Mr. Farouk is saying about uh, implementing this in, in, in Kylie Cha. But also, if we are going to implement this thing in Kylie Cha or Nature's Plain, uh, it must be a job opportunity for our youth also. Because what we pick it up in this thing, if we look at ESCOM, ESCOM is giving the jobs to those who are already uh, rich, you understand? Buying calls uh, for, from those who are already rich, you understand? Here we want also to decentralize our economy, giving our youth opportunity to, 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 to get work, to maintain those grids. Yeah, you, uh, you understand my point. And two, uh, about this uh, establishing the mobile show house. I don't want us to keep the information in one area or two areas. If the city and the province and national come together and said, okay, let's spread this word of energy, you understand? Let's have the mobile uh, 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 show house moving maybe twice a month to uh, 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 Karu or, or whatever, uh, I'm just mentioning the place, or West Coast, uh, people must be aware of what is going to take place and people must come up with also their solutions and their ideas. While we are busy with this thing, with these uh, uh, solar grids in Kailicha or Mitchell Spain. Thank you, Richard. Okay, thanks, Patrick. Um, yeah, so I think those two ideas are, are, are speaking to different things. That the, the mobile unit can take information to lots of people. Obviously, with pilot projects, you have to start somewhere. So I think as, um, as Ms. Christine has offered, you know, Kylie Chaw Mitchell's plane are just ideas for where you could start and not that it would be limited only to those places. But realistically, you do have to start somewhere. Um, and starting somewhere is important. It's better than not starting at all. Um, so, I mean, what would be great to hear is if any other people on the call would be interested in that uh, type of, of collaboration. Uh, you don't necessarily have to say so now. You can um, pop us an email later or, or pop it in the chat. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for these, these thoughts on this. Uh, we have a few minutes left before we need to close. Has anyone got 
anything else they'd like to raise that they feel has been missed um, or that a question hasn't been answered or that isn't clear? Um, now's, now's your chance. Going once. If no one else is, I don't want to hog the issue, but if no one else, then I would like to say one or two things. That's fine. Let's just uh, give anyone else a chance who does want to. We've got lots of people on the call. Don't be shy. If you do want to add in, please do. Um, if not, which I don't see any, then yeah, back to you, Frog. Uh, okay, so the city of Cape Town has plans in the new year to install a major PV installation in Atlantis. And I have said to them that what we should do is allow for the panels then to be put up and below that to be able to use that for agriculture. It is being shown worldwide that you can combine the two things together. You can increase supply of energy and supply of food in one fell swoop. And uh, it's been happening in uh, many parts of the world. And uh, our ED, Kadri Nasip and others were very excited about this and are taking it on board. So you see, we can do that. Uh, this will become the first big solar installation that the city is going to be tackling. Secondly, Sterile, we need to take uh, sites like dumping sites, which need to be sterilized. So we can't use them for other purposes, but we can use them for the generation of electricity. So my point that I have been emphasizing in the course of today is how can we produce surplus electricity? So much electricity that we can give some of that electricity away either this coming from the independent power producers or from the electricity that we can generate on the rooftops of businesses, houses, and that which the city is going to be participating in. So the energy revolution is here. The transition has to happen, happen very, very quickly. I'm an old guy, I'm 75 now, but my enthusiasm is as infectious as it, as it was when I was 18. So come guys, look, I'm an old guy, but I really will run the pace with you. I won't be left behind. And I promise you, if you work together with me, we will be able to make things happen and we will use the pilot projects to show to people how it can be done and which ways to finance that so that the constraints we have can be dealt with and we can produce the electricity that the city needs. If Cape Town can do it, then the rest of South Africa can, because we have more irradiation in South Africa than in most parts of the world. So while the sun shines, that is electricity that we could be using. So let's not waste the sunshine, let's tap into it and let's produce the electricity that people want. It can be done, I'm saying to you, please believe me, thank you. All right, thanks, Farouk. And once again, the infectious enthusiasm, that is what we need. We have difficult problems and um, that enthusiasm is very important. So thank you. Um, just before we wrap up, um, maybe, Peter, is there anything else you want to add before I say some, some thanks and a way forward? 
no, just to say really great conversation and great to see enthusiasm around some of the recommendations and um, just to thank the people who have made themselves available for interview. You know, I really appreciate the time and thank you to you and Project 90 for giving me this amazing, interesting opportunity of work. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Um, great. Well, my last things are also some thanks. Um, I mean, firstly, everyone on the call today, thanks for, for joining, for listening and, and contributing. Um, and to Lydia, Brooke and Reshmi for, for making time to, to enthusiastically uh, get involved. Um, I'd also like to thank FES, the Friedrich Hibbert Stiftung Foundation. Uh, they, they financed this work. Um, and I won't go through everyone else in the acknowledgements part of the report. I mean, we interviewed a lot of people. Um, there was almost 60 people for the second part. There were people who helped with contacts. This was not just a, a, a few of us working on it. It was, it was a lot of work. So just thanks to everyone who was involved. Um, everyone's email we have, we will send the design report once it is finished. Um, and then we'll continue working on some of these ideas. Um, Brooke, we'll be in touch with you. And um, hopefully the, the idea with this is, yes, it's a report and it provides information, but we wanted it to lead to some sort of action because without action, we're just going to continue with way, the way things are and we'd like to improve things from how they are if possible. Um, so that's it from me. Um, keep an eye on the email for, for the report and that. And um, yeah, thanks for joining today and um, we'll chat again soon. Uh, for those of you who haven't, um, just for us to keep a record, if you haven't put your, your, your name and your organization in the chat, just do so. Um, that's helpful for us. So I'll, I'll just leave the chat open for a bit and we'll be in touch soon. Thank you very much.
So somewhere, somehow, we have to try to get that letter from Trulli.